Material Girls is hosted by New Syndicalist, a resource for trade union activists and organisers. Please help the work along by donating at patreon.com slash new syndicalist. Material Girls, a podcast about materialist feminism. I'm Lydia. I'm Vanessa. And I'm Emily. Um, this episode is about feminism and horror movies, essentially. <laughs> it's going to be a bit of a different episode. Obviously, we haven't put one of these out for a while. Um, I think the pandemic has been <laughs> hard on all of us. Um, uh, and uh, so we'd, we've taken a bit of a break from the podcast. We wanted to come back with something that was a bit enjoyable and also maybe would give you some recommendations of things to watch during the most recent, the current lockdown. Um, so we're not going to have our usual kind of reading corner features and things like that. It'll probably be a bit shorter than usual, but we wanted to um, get back to recording. We'll try and record a, a more normal episode in the coming weeks. Um, so I just really wanted to give uh, a bit of a content warning for what we're going to talk about today. Um, you know, some of the stuff, themes that are going to come up around violence towards uh, like sexual violence and also violence towards um, women and children. Also, there may be some films in here you haven't seen. So spoiler alert. And also just for disclosure, I'm not really a film person. This isn't really my area. So there may be parts where I'm a little bit quiet on this podcast. We're subjecting Emily to recording a podcast about something that she has uh, little very little. So, sorry, Emily. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're sorry. But it's, yeah. it's good. good some, some good feminist themes to think about and discuss anyway. <laughs> so, I thought, um, I mean, this is, we're going to talk about a few different films in a fairly disorganised way, just things, ones that we like um, and that are that have kind of a feminist reading or have been thought about in a fem- through feminism in some at some time. Um, so some of the themes that we thought can come up in films that are considered feminist horror are some there's something about women knowing that something isn't right and not being believed, and that sense that women can have of feeling like are they going mad or are people treating me really badly? And then there was, there's a lot about the body, the horror of living in a female body or a body that's culturally coded as horrifying, e.g. by religion. And then all of the stuff about the violence that's visited on women. And then um, there's also a lot of stuff about revenge, which is the more encouraging element of it, I find. Um, but sometimes a lot of these films are actually directed by men. Um, and it seems like there's something about the fear, men's fear, that women will realise what's happened to them or what's happening to them and then take their revenge. And that's, I find that some of the most enjoyable side of um, horror with a feminist feminist edge or feminist interpretation. 
So I think, yeah, I, I do love a good horror film and I do find that um, it's a really good thing to be watching when you're kind of bored or dysphoric. I feel like it really jolts me out of my stupor a little bit. Um, and one of the, one of the, so I'm going to talk about a bit about The Babadook um, and because that's, I think that's like a, a recent film that's a very, a very good um, version of, of a, a feminist horror film but it's it's kind of different to the usual the usual ones that we've got on our list of kind of feminist horror films because it's actually um because it's about because it's basically about a mother and a child um the mother is kind of quite isolated um and she experiences her her child almost as as being kind of possessed or you could say it has a lot of behavioral problems um and then she's judged by everyone around her and not and not believed that there's something wrong with her child and she's seen as kind of a bad mother but also rejected by the people around her because of her child's her child being like really scary and doing doing like what does he do he kind of maybe he attacks another child at a party or something like that yeah, he's, um, um, cousin her sister's child what what does he do i think he pushes her out yeah. of the house so yeah you know the um little boy in the film he's seen as a child who has like behavioral problems when he kind of pushes I think he pushes his cousin out of the treehouse after she was bullying him from for not having a dad and you know that resulted kind of a rift in um the family really with between mm. the sister and because it was like the sister and the mum yeah so then she get they get even more isolated and, and they can't just going the mum and the mum is just going even kind of going even more crazy maybe or maybe there is this kind of haunting and this possession happening so and it is it's genuinely quite scary um but it's kind They're of gone punished for having for not having a kind of a quote unquote normal family it's like you know he gets made fun of for not for not having a dad yeah he responds and then as a result they both get kind of cast out of this uh, kind of wider family unit into like isolation yeah and then kind of what happens when you're it kind of it's really good because it it shows kind of the social causes of of this kind of well what I was going to say actually is that that it is it's a scary film it's really good but it's it's very much like a psychological horror because Mm -hmm. but what I was going to say is that it's quite different from some of the other films because it, because it's very clear about the fact that there's a there's a rational explanation for what's happened and there's there's a psychological explanation. Because spoiler warning, um, it's actually the grief, her grief, um, along with all of the all of the kind of social isolation and prejudice that they mm. and advantages that they experience that that's haunting the relationship with the child. Um, and then it ends up that, that it's just something that she has to tend to, that the, mon- the monster is something that she has to look after and give time to, which is kind of how she has to sort of live alongside, live alongside her grief and give it, give it care and attention. Um, and it's a lovely film. It is. It kind of makes it, it makes me cry a little bit like, oh, this is so nice. But it's very different from a, from a usual horror film. And it, it can feel a little bit frustrating or a little bit too, too finished in, in some way because um, it's quite kind of emotionally satisfying in quite a well-rounded way which is not what I usually expect to get from a horror film and it kind of mm. it dull it's just I guess 
just not it's almost not a horror film it's almost more of a of a kind of like a a realistic drama in some way yeah and that's I think that's what's so clever about it is that like a stuff a lot of the stuff obviously there's a kind of climactic um part of this film where you you kind of you see this manifestation of her grief and it's this it's that Babadook character which you'll have seen um at gay pride marches that happened the year after this film was released (laughs) and so obviously that's kind of feels like quite a kind of classic horror moment Uh, but yeah the rest of it is this kind of yeah feels like this kind of family drama you know like social services visiting and her dealing with um trying to kind of do her she works in a care home which I think is really interesting she works um works with elderly people in a care home so she has this kind of you know low low paid but kind of emotionally Mm -hmm. acting job that doesn't seem to be very flexible in like allowing her to um sort of take care of her child as a single parent you know as a as a widow um and so yeah it feels like a kind of family drama but has this climactic point of like her completely kind of unraveling and this the Babadook revealing itself and it's really interesting and then yeah and then the ending is so yeah so unlike anything I've seen in a horror movie before yeah I mean yeah it's just it's just really nice because it's kind of it's it's like a modern feminist horror because it's moving beyond this kind Mm. of limited two-dimensional character where the Mm. woman's being chased or it's about kind of the horror the horror of the female body or the horror of kind of sexuality Mm. thinking about Carrie the the kind of the horror of experiencing like you know adolescence or the beginning of sexuality is some kind of violent intrusion but mm. it's more like she's kind of a more developed complex subject and then it's just really realistic and true like the reasons ha- why people develop like you know postnatal depression or whatever you want to call it mm. yeah um but I just want I just want something more from horror films I want sometimes I just want that I want the horror I want the I want it to be kind of destructive and it's just I think when I watch a horror, a horror film the, the, the Babadook does have all of that all the way through and I don't know why I think that it kind of dis, <laughs> you know invalidates it because it has because it has almost like a happy ending I guess it's kind of with that ending there's kind of you know the character mother kind of almost empowers herself doesn't she by dealing like confronting the grief confronting yeah trauma and that's quite different and as you said you know it's kind of got that sort of weird happy ending where she learns to live alongside it and it's just the monsters just shut away in another part of the house and they go and feed it together Mm -hmm. um so that's quite an interesting one where it kind of confronts the grief and sadness which I guess is very different to an all-out destructive film yeah like characters show that this you know that this grief this like this monster like has this ongoing hold over her life as well like it's a kind of double-edged thing where she's learned what she needs to do to kind of keep it at bay but if for whatever reason she was ever not able to do that it would the implication is it would come like roaring back into her life in a way that she couldn't necessarily control yeah that's true that's true I think um 
I'm just looking back to some of the uh, the more exhilaratingly stupid horror films like Peace, <laughs> where <laughs> there's so much there's like it's it's kind of very enjoyable and playful um the violence is probably yeah there's like violence but it's not very realistic because it's about men getting their penises bitten off by a v- vagina dentata <laughs> and uh, it's one of my absolute favorites like again like I'd almost hesitate to call it a horror because it's so funny there are like moments <laughs> of like real shocking gore and like jump, a few jump scares but on the whole it's just so and self-consciously like it's not like a poorly made film it's just that it's very funny it it's very self I really I, it, apparently it made like a lot of money at the cinema I didn't, which I had yeah. no idea I saw it when it came out I saw it at the Peckham Plex mm-hmm. um with two uni friends who were both guys and they looked pretty traumatized by the end of it I have to say <laughs> oh amazing well that makes a change yeah yeah exactly <laughs> horror visited upon them instead of us for once yeah and the other thing I forgot is that she's um she's supposed to be a Christ she's supposed to be like an abstinence teen Christian um, and that's kind of what how the how the film starts out that she's supposed to be abstaining from sex but then she kind of likes a boy from her church and then um, he predictably enough tries to rape well does rape her but um but her because she's but the idea is that her her kind of her teeth come out when she's scared or under threat automatically. Um, and then she kind of goes through and takes she, she kind of learns to control her power in a way. And then by the end, she's actually using it self-consciously to um, castrate the her stepbrother, who it turns out sexually abused her. Oh, no, no. Yeah, and he's got like a bit of finger missing or something because she clipped him when he tried to sexually abuse her when she was when they were younger. Mm. And then by the and the best the best bit is that that by the end of the film she's able to like she <laughs> it's pretty stupid. But this is again like a not very you know depressive position moment in the in a horror film where where by the end she triumphantly goes off into the sunset um, and is able to hitchhike the roads freely because. Because of the fact that if anyone does try to rape her, she'll simply bite off their penis. With, with her vagina. With her own vagina. Yeah. I feel like we need to state restate that. <laughs> Which, you know, and I think that's the dream. That it's, it's, it's just, yeah, fulfilling the dream of killing all men and running away to freedom. It just made me think, like, what, you know, what a difficult time it is for feminism and how we need to kind of hold on to the, to the rightness of, of this dream. In amid complaints about idpol and council culture Spire, it's a um the director is a guy isn't it? it's um isn't it roy Liechtenstein's son i think that directed it yeah. so it's interesting to think about it like if a woman had made it how might it be different and how like it's like, like obviously we can look at it and we can look at some of those scenes as kind of triumphant but i yeah. wonder if making it for him it's just like an expression of this like of this fear that he has that this is you know that this is potentially something that could happen Mm -hmm. to him unwittingly he's made this this film yeah almost kind of unwittingly kind of it's more yeah I'm sure it is more within the genre of like men's fears of what women can do or like you know often horror films will be about 
the fears, societal fears and stuff. So I guess maybe 2007 was. Yes, yeah, 2000, I think. That probably was a little bit of a time of resurgence of feminism. It's funny because so there isn't really ever an explana- a proper explanation offered as to how she came to have vagina dentata, which is like a really based on like there are loads of myths going back kind of into ancient times about vagina dentata like it's obviously it's like the original idea of like a femme fatale like literally like a a woman who like kill you with her sexuality but um there's like there's weird it's maybe just at the beginning you see that this kind of picturesque little town but at one point the kind of the camera shows you the kind of near distance and it's like a there's like a power plant or something that's and it's like it doesn't say, oh, it's like a kind of mutation because of like chemicals from the power plant. But it's like this weird idea that they just sort of dangle and he just dangles and then forgets about. <laughs> it's really strange. Yeah, it's actually a horror film about um, about our about, you know, it actually prefigures the pandemic. about You know what we've done to nature and what nature can do to us. Yeah. Unnatural women. Unna- yeah, unnatural women. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it's an incredibly enjoyable film, and you should definitely, definitely watch it during. I think it's it's a really good escapist, enjoyable horror film. It won't make you think about anything. It'll just just make you. It'll make you laugh. It'll make you scream. Yeah. <laughs> Have some mild jump scares. <laughs> it requires a relatively high like gore tolerance it's not that go- it's you don't see loads of blood but there are a few moments where well they don't kind of see loads of what's happened if you have a horrible very vivid imagination like i do it is quite stomach churning <laughs> <laughs> that's true um but still eminently watchful <laughs> but it doesn't last long i mean no. you know as soon as it moves on to the next bit yeah next little episode of (laughs) I think for me because I so I like I love movies but I I've always said to people like oh I don't really watch horror I don't really like horror movies because I things stick with me too much not everything but there are some things I've watched in the past where they've just lodged themselves in my brain and become (laughs) unforgettable in the worst way and it's like yeah. So I've learned to sort of protect myself a bit from from those kinds of films because for me it just isn't worth it. You know, it's mm-hmm. worth waking up in the middle of the night to like go and get a glass of water and have to think like it's a shame I'm going to be murdered now. Just accept it. Yeah, it's like I won't be able to go to the toilet. Yeah, exactly. It's like I had 33 years on the planet and um, it's my time. I've had that. I had that about it. Follows actually. Oh yeah, I didn't really like that film that much, but I did find it incredibly scary. It was really frightening, yeah. I was living in a house at the time where my toilet was at the top of the stairs, and so I would have to go to the toilet at the top of the stairs and just be like, "Oh my god, the stairs!" <laughs> it follows with one of those things that I misjudged and I watched, and it really stuck with me for ages. It was really horrible. Yeah, but I I think I've got quite good over the years at like working out kind of what I'll find enjoyable and interesting and, and fun. Mm. um that won't leave me completely like emotionally scarred so I've and when I 
we were talking about doing this and I was kind of looking back over things that I've really enjoyed a kind of common theme in a lot of them for me is I seem to really watch and enjoy horror that involves a kind of ambivalent mother at the centre so obviously Roman Polanski is a rapist he's in cancelled corner plus him he lives in cancelled corner um but Rosemary's Baby is is one of my I'd say it's one of my sort of all-time favourite films of any genre um and obviously that's that's the kind of like archetypical film about an ambivalent mother and she's obviously right to be pretty fucking ambivalent about about her situation so yeah I mean it's like all of you imagine like your worst fears about what your child could turn out to be I mean she's she's living it um so obviously Mia Farrow's character the centre of that she is not fully aware like for for almost the entirety of the film like what it is that's happened to her but she is aware that something is wrong um so she becomes a lot of people will have seen Rosemary's Baby and know what it's about so but essentially she is um impregnated by the devil um there are um (laughs) through that there's a kind of cult who sort of sees upon her as a as a potential um mother for this literally the spawn of satan um and she is becomes pregnant and and she they they drug her so she kind of it's very like that scene is that is actually really horrible the scene where she's kind of essentially raped by satan um yeah pretty awful um but she doesn't quite know what's happened so um but obviously because it's not because it's the spawn of satan it really it takes from her in a way that is even kind of more intense than a than a kind of quote unquote normal pregnancy she's really conscious that something's wrong nobody will believe her and there's a scene in it where she's on the she's in a phone box and she's calling somebody and she's she's trying to explain that something's not right and that she needs help but nobody believes her. And it's this idea of, you know, well, pregnant women, they're hormonal, they're emotional, they don't know what they're talking about. And there's also this, although obviously what happens to her physically is really intense because it's not a human baby. It's like, it does just highlight how much even a human, <laughs> a human fetus like takes from, um, from it's a parasite. body. Like, it, yeah, it's literally a parasite. And I don't, you know, Rosemary's Baby wouldn't work as a film if, that weren't true at a slightly different level in a in a normal pregnancy um and so obviously she's not she's not a kind of excited expectant mother she's a terrified expectant mother um but then more recently i think hereditary is probably the best example of this like idea of the the horror of, of ambivalent motherhood um and the babadook to a lesser extent because some of the more horrifying scenes in the babadook are um the mother absolutely losing it at her child um both as a both at points where she's still kind of lucid and she's just furious Mm. and then later as she really begins to unravel and she poses like a physical threat to him and actually sort of tries to kill him and those are the most shocking moments of the Babadook because watching a mother try relent pretty relentlessly to like attack and kill her own child is something you don't see very often on screen really confronting 
And then in hereditary, I mean, there's so much you can pick apart and say about hereditary. It's one of the most like extraordinary things I've seen for a really, really long time. But she, it kind of comes up. So she, the beginning of the film, like uh, Tony Collette's character, I think she's called Annie, her has died, her elderly mother. She, you kind of come to understand that she was quite a strange character, like, you know, not necessarily a kind of loving, supportive mother. And so her feelings about her mother's death are quite kind of conflicted. But anyway, kind of as things go on, you realise she sort of discloses that she, to her son, um, that when she became pregnant with him, she didn't want him. And she had tried to induce a miscarriage by, I think she says she tried to do all the things that you're not supposed to do when you're pregnant. And she tells him this. And um, I think he says something like, oh, you know, you tried to kill me. And she says, no, I was trying to save you. The idea that, you know, she grew up with a mother who didn't really want children in a conventional way. She, you know, she felt like she was a child. She was a child of a mother who didn't necessarily want her. And she was trying to rescue her son from kind of having the same fate. But then she also talks, discloses that she had actually tried to murder both him and his younger sister. Um, That she had kind of sleepwalked into their room, covered them with um, lighter fluid and lit a match, which woke him, woke her son up and stopped her from burning them and herself to death. So she's like the ultimate ambivalent mother but the way this these disclosures happen are so interesting because they're kind of because obviously that's like the such an incredible Mm. shocking thing to say here the idea that your mother tried to kill you is really like like um really intense and she so obviously these disclosures aren't made lightly and actually they're kind of made unwillingly there's something about the way she says them where she doesn't really have any control over what she's saying like she tries to kind of clap her hand over her mouth to to stop herself from saying it but but it obviously it doesn't work um and yeah it's just it's she is absolutely magnificent in it and it is just one of the best portrayals of um of that side of motherhood that kind of acknowledgement of like how much children take from you how much um how different people's experiences are like what it's like to be the child of somebody who didn't really want you and maybe didn't really love you um it's it's really phenomenal like i it's the film is bonkers (laughs) at the heart of it is is that annie character who is just incredible why is it called heret what is it what is hereditary what's inherited yeah so it um the story is quite weird basically the the basic premise is that her mother was involved with this cult um and uh what's passed down is um this thing this uh sort of demon that will inhabit that inhabits people called um Pyman, i think and and ultimately this this demon is kind of looking for a human vessel and it sort of follows this family line so one of the best bits in the film is she's at a grief support group because i mean massive spoiler alert at this like during the film tony collette loses her mother right at the beginning her daughter is 
killed in one of the most horrifying thing accidents I've ever seen <laughs> committed to screen. Um, and and her it was an accident that was caused by her son. Mm. And then kind of towards the end her husband also dies in a really horrifying way so she experienced like massive amounts of loss like just loss after loss in this film she's at this grief support group she's just kind of um like unfolding about all of this stuff happening and she goes back and she talks about her mum's life she's talking about her her mum's life and she's saying you know uh her um her mum's husband, so Annie's father, died of starve. He starved himself to death. Mm. Um, and her brother was schizophrenic and committed suicide. Uh, left a note saying that something was trying to that something was trying to inhabit his body, mm. which is the kind of the first hint at kind of what happens later in the film. So it's this inherited. It's this kind of depression. This kind of and this. Um, yeah, being uh, being inhabited by these kind of unwanted feelings, which, which is passed down. And then, um, so the, one of the, the best things, people wrote like, so much about hereditary because there was just like so much in there to, um, <laughs> to talk about. And but the best thing that I heard, the best thing that I read on it was um, Sophie Lewis. Um, I mean, I think Sophie Lewis is overtaking Sylvia Federici. Sylvia Federici is our most cited. Um, <laughs> awesome. Congrats, Sophie. <laughs> um, she wrote a really good article um, called The Satanic Death Cult is Real um, with a subtitle in Hereditary and now Midsummer, which was Ari Aster, the di- hereditary director. Midsummer was his second film. In Hereditary and now Midsummer, horror is family. I'd really recommend people um, read that. I'm not going to go sort of way into Midsummer, but the basic premise of that article is that in Hereditary, the family is systematically destroyed. Um, and in Midsummer, it's prevented from ever really happening because it's, um, I think she describes the film as like the ultimate breakup movie. Which is <laughs> like, I think, an incredible way to describe Midsummer. <laughs> I mean it's so much more it's such a good film like the the one thing I would that I do want to say about Midsummer because I do feel like it is really yeah I feel like Midsummer and Hereditary they both do like um maintain the kind of the the, the kind of destructive non-reparative edge of, of horror films um mm. but they do it and yeah like it's not going to end the cycle kind of thing because it's just more destruction but um, they both because they're just sort of destroying the family or 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 kind of playing out to the end, the vi- playing the violence out to the end. Mm. And um, but it's so, but Midsummer is so good because because it's it's all about her kind of her tra- you know her horrible tra- tragic family, and then her that she's you can see that she's searching for some kind of fam some kind of family and ends up in this cult, but in the end. The, the but in the end yeah like she's betrayed by her shitty boyfriend and, and burns him to death and it's so great um <laughs> um but I think the thing that's really good about it is that is the is the critique of like um like a right wing take on how we need more communal living but it's and that that's been accentuated in the pandemic as well and the right wing take is is almost and there's loads of it about there's loads of like people rediscovering religion rediscovering traditional ways of life or, or, you know and it's all linked into the rise of ethno nationalism 
um, and how there's this right wing take that yes of course we need community and communalism but we can get that by just going back to women doing all the work and living with their extended families and that will solve all of our social problems or we can have um, like or we can have loads of live-in servants if we're rich enough and then that will solve all of our problems problems with care and problems with not having enough enough community yeah because I mean it's interesting because in midsummer there are kind of two points at which people try and say to to draw her into a sense of um of this like family belonging like at the beginning um when they so mid the basic the basic idea of, of midsummer is that um the character played by Florence Pugh she is absolutely incredible in this I think uh-huh. like I mean T- Tony Collette is one of my favorite actors in general and she's unbelievable in hereditary and Florence Pugh I think is every bit as good in Midsummer. it's like she's remarkable in it but she plays a character who has um her mother has died recently and she is like obviously she's well she's stricken with grief like it's it's really taking a huge toll on her and her boyfriend is going off to do this kind of anthropological field work in at this cult or well we're at this like commune in Sweden um and uh because what so one of his their friends at university is is from this community um and uh so she goes with him but I guess we can say that the community is kind of not the utopia that had been but she there's a couple of moments when they first arrive and they do they take some mushrooms and um, one of the Americans says to her, oh, you're, you're like my family. So yeah. you're like my family. And she just freaks out and runs away into the woods. It's like, like as soon as that's mentioned. And then later on, um, one of the uh, cult members tries to describe um, that community as, as like, oh, we're a big family. And again, she's like, no, 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 no. That's not what I want. It's not what I want. <laughs> no 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 oh no like you know so there's like two the two moments where the idea of family is really like addressed explicitly um she she rejects it really viscerally and I think because I think the the reading that you could have of that those bits like to a mainstream audience could be like oh isn't it scary how there's cults and stuff and people being radicalized yeah on that would we (laughs) yeah yeah the idea that it's like because both of those films you could just say were about cults like there's this family you know the cult that centers around Annie's family and hereditary and then the cult um is it Haga I think is the name of the community um but it's yeah I mean I guess a piece of Ikea furniture huh it sounds like the name of a piece of Ikea furniture yeah it does it sounds like a sofa bed yeah um but uh yeah but I mean they're just like yeah I guess on one level they're about cults but that seems to be just about the most like boring understanding of those films you could possibly get to the the fear and the horror the fear and the horror of community Mm. how it can be like so easily subverted like by for example by blue (laughs) labor Because I, I do really relate to that, like the fear fear and the horror of community. Like when people when at work they say, We're all one big family, so you have to stay here till nine PM 
and we'll you know and sleep here and we'll yeah. feed you and we'll yeah. never leave yeah the inv- sort of invocations of the family are nearly always to get you to do for free uh, exactly. uh, for things that are above and beyond like what can reasonably be expected of you and they're always like play it's always called to your emotion and your sense of duty to something yeah it's always used against women if, if you don't want to do that and you know it's bad when people are atomized and blah blah but that, that's not women that's not the fault of women being bitches that's the fault of capitalism mm. yeah yeah so the other film the other one i really really wanted to talk about and I think I might have a very, I might have a very partial reading of this actually, but but this was um so this is a new Cronenberg film, but it's not actually David Cronenberg, it's his son Brandon. He's <laughs> kind of carrying on the family business, pretty much exactly the same. I think I think David Cronenberg sort of stopped making body horror, but Brandon has just picked up where his dad has left off and gone back to some kind of body psychological horror, and it's really a really good film called Possessor, which is out this year. Um. And I think there are a lot more readings. I think there's, it's got, there's a lot, I, I realise the tagline is um, lose control because it's about, um, so it's basically, the basic premise is that there's a, an, there's this kind of corporate organisation who carry out um, assassinations by um, sort of beaming the consciousness of their assassin into of sort of friends and family members of, of um, people in business that they need to take out for, for reasons of their like corporate takeover bids and stuff but then they it's easy to kind of that the murder can just be explained through a simple kind of family feud or something um, and then the, the person be blamed even though it wasn't actually there it was someone who's taken over their body so, so yeah, loads of the themes are about um, <clears throat> like the struggles, struggles for who's in control of the body, and like struggles in the mind of the the person for who's mm. like, who's the dominant consciousness in the body at that time, which is really cool and and kind of scary. Um, but it's also about like, I think the, the sort of interesting. Well, I'm not sure I would say it's a feminist film, but it does comment. It's about a woman, and it comments on her. So the assassin in the in the film is a woman who who kind of commits terrible acts of violence and goes and and she does more violence than she needs to just she 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 doesn't she's supposed to follow orders she's supposed to kill the people in a particular way um but she always um but there's some kind of element of trauma or something that that means that she makes the killings more bloody and violent than they need to be Mm. um which is it's quite disturbing. It is really, it's really good. It's quite disturbing. Um, and a lot of it is about, I would say that it's a film about how work can take over your life because being possessed because she's kind of groomed by her employer and told how great she is at, at these terrible things that she does for her job. Um, and how you know how brilliant she is because at, because at home I guess she does, isn't very happy in different ways in quite kind of mundane ways um, in ways that you know her reactions not really proportionate um, but it just shows so it shows um, it shows her dissatisfactions with, within her marriage um, so she's like she's married to, to a quite annoying academic 
he's not that mm. bad. I mean, he's just mildly annoying. You could say, oh, he's a lovely, lovely guy called Michael. And he, it, she constantly refers to him as Michael. And it looks like it looks like she's going to maybe commit a bit more to her family at the beginning, but then her employer doesn't like that. Um, so there's one scene where she goes to, so she goes back. She hadn't really been living at home with her husband and child, but she goes back to stay with them overnight and then at dinner another couple come over and the only clip of the conversation shows Michael telling a long and amusing supposedly amusing story about one of his university colleagues who has kind of a creepy attitude to undergraduate students but Michael monopolizes the conversation while condemning the bad behavior of the other man um, and then she's and then she's shown later having sex with him with Michael but dissociating because she's having a flashback of the of the knife because she's been doing all these murders going into the flesh of her last victim when she's kind of in control of someone else's body and it, there's so many ways that you could see this whether it's kind of the trauma of her job get, getting in the way of her connecting but also but but then it's also how that how it's easy for her to just be at work because she can't express her anger towards her husband and she can't really win in this relationship um Mm. and it's a very she's her life is very her life at home is frustrating and she's in an, an inferior position I guess um I mean she kind of loves her child but she kind of wants to leave her child and leave her husband um and I find it really interesting because it because it, it's just such she's so mildly frustrated and mildly dissatisfied at home um but then kind of puts all into her job but then things that she's asked to do at work are so terrible and that it's just like such a such a, a mistake for her to just she's just it's her kind of emotional immaturity that she just kind of flees flees into her job but then her job is like this totally fucked up thing which I think is quite realistic for like what a lot of people's jobs actually comprise of. Yeah. I think what I concluded was that nothing much has changed in a way in the patriarchal family for a lot of um, for rich white women, which she is, or any woman who's willing to carry out limitless violence at the request of the new monopolies, um, there are individual escapes. If you're, yeah, if you're willing to sign up to do to do this terrible violence and give over your your whole identity to your to your family job, and and also just how men now kind of utilise the language of to or to take, you know, utilise the language of how which they've always done of how rubbish other men are and mm. to, to kind of just to just take up all the space in the conversation and then use and there's lots of other bits where he kind of sort of uses the language of therapy to sort of shut shut her up and win the conversation and then it's and, it, and you can see how it can feel to her like killing everybody is her only way out yeah and answering back it's interesting because the um the end like the way the film so again like just massive spoiler massive spoiler alerts um because so the fact her family don't know that's her job do they no it's, it's never really addressed like they don't really talk about her work but she yeah. it comes up once she says oh I've got to fly to Sweden or something yeah. for work so they clearly they you know her husband doesn't know the true nature of of her work oh my the the end of the film is I think really um is is really interesting because she basically uh both her husband and her son um die yeah. are killed. Um and it's it's really brutal. Like at the beginning, 
you see her undergoing this psychological evaluation mm. and um, she by her employer and she there's a moment I can't remember exactly kind of what it is but she's asked to hold objects and kind of talk about what they are and there's a point she's holding something and she just kind of emotes too too much about the object you can see that her employer kind of bristles a bit about what she's saying mm. objects then you kind of she goes off she does this mission so the film is kind of um you kind of watch her do kind of one of these jobs mm. doesn't go very well goes very badly it's incredible the violence is like she's covering always covering up like all of her fuck-ups and being like no i'm the best employee i'm employee of the month i'm brilliant yeah it's very difficult to see how she became this kind of like top um top assassin because when you watch her in the film she's like obviously completely unraveling by the end her family are dead she's she's alone and you see her do this um it's the end of the mission you see her go through this cyclic psychological evaluation again the same as at the beginning and this time she just doesn't express like any un you know unwanted from her employer's perspective emotion so she's been she's been severed from from her family she's now kind of yeah and the employer set her up as well as well like it's a mix of her own it's it's horrible because it shows how employers can leverage our own ordinary dissatisfactions and frustrations to kind of um take over our lives entirely yeah how how women can see that work is like a solution to their problems when it's actually you know it's not it's a solution but it's not going to put them in any better position than they were before yeah I mean I think you know I think I'd be wary about kind of giving it too much credit. Like I loved it. It was probably oh, the best yeah. film I saw last year, like in terms of a new release. I thought it was amazing. It's yeah. exactly, it's just exactly the kind of film I like. So I knew, I knew I was going to enjoy it, but I think there is a sort of problematic element of like, Oh, now her, their family was what humanized her. Yeah. Her family are gone. She is, she is entirely dehumanized, which obviously gives way too much credit. And I think fundamentally a misunderstanding of what a family is. Yeah family and what a family does um but it is it's certainly really interesting and there's loads of cool gender stuff about like in the film um she is inhabiting the body of a man and it's kind of there's like some bits at the start of it where she's just like has a little look at his dick and stuff when she's yeah. like first inhabiting him but then but then later on where they really start to merge and her consciousness and his consciousness are becoming kind of used in in a way that's kind of not supposed to happen some of the like the gender stuff is really interesting and obviously just like watching you're watching a man commit like re- I mean really seriously um horrifying violence like some of the most good like graphic violence I've seen on screen but obviously being controlled by by those characters Andrea Riseborough plays the assassin and she is absolutely Oh my god, she's amazing in it. Yeah, she looks so drawn. Yes. I, yeah, I, I think it. I don't. I think that the reading that I probably said, like the reading that I probably made, is way more progressive than the one that's intended. Because so I think it is. Oh. It's quite a reactionary film. But I mean, it, it could be understood as quite reactionary because yeah, exactly. Like oh, it's terrible when people don't like love their families enough, even when. You know, families aren't perfect, but we have to love them anyway and not be 
inhuman. <laughs> but, mm. but in the end, she does some really inhuman stuff and she wants to do that um, because who wouldn't? Because Michael's unbearable. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting in that it is those, like, those, you know, the things that on the surface of, of it all, like, look minor, you know, she's, this guy is, like, he's pompous, he's kind of self-righteous, fond of the sound of his own voice, all these things that, you know, we come to expect from, you know, cis men, you know, in academic jobs. <laughs> But actually, that's, you know, it, we don't know a lot about her. Like, it's not a film that kind of gives you a lot of background information. You kind of just have to kind of take it, you know, just take it as you see it. But but the only context you have is like, well, is this what's motivating her? Is this what fuels her? This, like, have, living with this man, this, like, this this sort of... You want to be in that relationship. Yeah, this dissatisfaction. Yeah. If that's all there is... You know, there are no other, there are no sort of signs that he's actually a monster or that head kid is, you know, dreadful or but it's just the, the dissatisfaction of kind of family life seems is yeah. the only thing that the film gives you as a possible motivator for her. It really intense ultra, ultra violence. Isn't it? <laughs> it's such, it's a really good like Cronenberg film. Like it's, I mean, yeah, it's got the kind of like identity confusion and, and the like, the ultra violence but it is but yeah it's in the context of like amazon and mm. these like companies that can control everything and take over your life and and do things to people's subjectivity for reasons of profit yeah because the thing that we haven't talked about in it is that um so the guy i can't remember his name is he called charlie that she takes over mm. this film he's the fiance of the daughter of a guy who owns like a huge tech company and as an attempt to kind of humiliate this fiance who seems to come from maybe like a more like maybe a kind of working class background is that um he's the daughter's drug dealer yes and then they get together and he like is one one down in the relationship and and so is he's supposed to be kind of depressed and is in this like humiliating relationship to the father so he's like the you know he's the kind of blue collar you know humiliated worker mm. worker who has to work in the amazon factory but it's a personal relationship to the to the father of his castrating girlfriend yeah that relate that relationship is really is really interesting like between her his future father-in-law Mm. and him and the way he works at like the lowest level in this yeah. company like reviewing he's like reviewing footage from he does the thing that you have to do when you to prove that you're a human oh my god yeah you know like when you and it's like prove you're a human do this work for, for us identifying what's um identifying which of these pictures and adding data to our database about oh, yeah where it's like look like to human click all of the bicycles you can exactly, see yeah. Well, um, yeah doing that all day with kind of video footage and then there's point like it's like getting the um algorithm to be able to identify like a curtain 
or um and some of it's porn as well and yeah and then yeah he's sat there's you see these people like fucking at home and he sort of lingers on it for too long and he gets told to like, keep moving it's sad it's a very pessimistic film oh, but at, yeah. least, at least the bad at least some of the bad people die i mean the the the, the worst the worst um, murder is of the tech company boss it's a pessimistic film, I think, for a, for a pessimistic time. But it's really fun and shiny, and um, like has a lot of violence, and it and it does make you think. But but the, it def, there's definitely a kind of reactionary element. Um, but she she sort of wins she wins in the end in some way. Um, but it's not it's not a happy ending. It's, it's, it's the kind of win for her employer than it is for her, isn't it? Exactly. Because what's what's happened is that um, she's become a more effective employee by you know she's empowered like jettisoned from her family you know her family's destroyed and so she is free comes a more efficient worker because she's unencumbered by Mm. emotional weight of of being part of a family yeah what about what are our choices what are our choices we have to make better Sophie Lewis would say we have to make better communal arrangements yeah difficult stuff especially when we all have to when we're all isolated in our houses I can only go out once a day with one person. Not very communal. Yeah, fucking hell. I mean, you'd watch Midsummer now, and you could kind of, you're like, maybe that would be okay because at least yeah, there will be three people. <laughs> they're all in the same bubble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you'd have to all be in the same bubble. Cool. <laughs> it looks really, it looks beautiful as well. Like that, that's something they've done really nice things like them it's just absolutely beautiful where they are and it's just it's like a festival and like they have such a nice time she wasn't so miserable she could have had a great time she just needed to go with it exactly but, I mean, she does right at the yeah, end she exactly. does it. once she kind of gives herself up to it, goes with it. yeah it's a good time yeah it's true <laughs> just where i mean that dress is pretty fucking amazing right the, the big flower gal cool I liked the um Sophie Lewis mentions it in her um in her article about it all those um like memes and stuff that went around after it came out saying like uh oh this is just what it's like when you know like white people on holiday this is like going on holiday with white people or um like this is the one example of um of white people having culture this uh this community yeah kind of experiment there's a lot of kind of failed experiments in communal living which which sort of comprise one strand of white culture definitely yeah mm. oh yeah it's giving it a go over and over again and fucking up uh yeah <laughs> big time yeah and often much worse than in mid right like that is not the most horrifying example of something that's happened in one of these no I watched, although sadly that was mostly not white people, I watched the, um, Brian, not Brian Jonestown Massacre, the Jonestown Massacre. I know, I always do the same thing, I always watch the Brian Jonestown Massacre. What a great, also what a great band, the Brian Jonestown Massacre. Um, I watched, and it was uh, executive produced by Leonardo DiCaprio, the, uh, I think it's on BBC, it's like two episode story film. Oh, cool. Which is and it's it's really really upsetting. Yeah. Mm. Like Nine hundred people actually were actually died. I couldn't believe how many people it was. I thought it was about forty or fifty. Yeah. And the way that we talk about it is so flippant. Yeah. I was going to drink the Kool Aid. Yeah, exactly. And 
yeah that's kind of passing into the kind of yeah just something that you say but it's like oh my god no what happened is absolutely like be almost like beyond comprehension that's exactly what I was thinking of when it's like midsummer is not the worst example like yeah. there's something that has happened <laughs> it's a million times worse memory that's just you know yeah and I think a lot of them were yeah a lot of them were people who didn't who who were seeking a family and yeah. a lot of them were I think initially a lot of them were black people from where he lived from where this man lived he was became like a preacher and a leader and then he went to San Francisco and picked up a few more like middle class people but communal living can sometimes attract marginalized people and now I'm just thinking of like the Charles Manson commune and like the horror that came from that like you know real life horror yeah I mean they like, were this is like films like wow. real world is horrifying enough like <laughs> so I think that's that's probably it for the films that we wanted to talk about um it's hard to conclude on a positive note because of the difficult times that we're in and I think that's why I really wanted to emphasize the pure exhilarating enjoyment the kind of the purity of enjoying of enjoying a simple horror film um and how that can really take us out of ourselves during this during this horrible time and uh so yeah, maybe it's not the most serious analysis that we've ever done, but um, I think that's fine because we're just trying to trying to keep going and trying to trying to stay sane in the in the pandemic. And a little bit of a little bit of ultraviolence, I find, can can sometimes help with that. A little bit of catharsis. Can be a bit cathartic. Yeah. So I guess the films that we can do a we'll do a list of the of the films and maybe some others that we'd thought about when we were preparing for this. We can put that in the post, but I guess the films that we talked about are um, The Babadook, Teeth, Hereditary, Midsummer, um, Rosemary's Baby, Rosemary's Baby, um, yeah, oh, and Possessor. Oh, but um, yeah, and if other people want to kind of share um, other things that they think we might like based on and what we talked about please do because I definitely want to watch more of this kind of stuff I'm always interested in watching these kinds of films I forgot to mention Jennifer's body but we watch oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we'll put that in the list yeah. it'll be in the list watch it yeah um we love we love you all we miss you all stay safe and yeah. see you next time for listening to Material Girls. Don't forget to subscribe to New Syndicalist on SoundCloud or on your favourite podcast app to keep up to date with our new episodes. You can also find New Syndicalist on Facebook and Twitter. See you next time!